we're coming to you from Constellation Field, home of the Sugarland Skeeters. And we have the voice of the Skeeters, Ira Liebman, with us as we're approaching the season very fast. But before I talk about the, the coming up season, I just want to talk to you a little bit about last season because uh, you addressed the, the people at the uh, Sabre meeting. We both do a little bit of the, the, the Sabre functions. And uh, you talked a little bit about how special it was to win that first championship with the Skeeters last year. Tell me about that experience and what was it like to, to finally get a, a championship out, out here in Sugarland? Well, it's not just great for the players in the city and the town of Sugarland, but uh, it was great for me. It wasn't just five years of being with the Skeeters. That was 13 years for me of being ringless. So it was a phenomenal experience. I mean, probably more than I ever expected what it was going to be like. I mean, just joining the celebration afterwards. But it was really a crazy run because the Skeeters weren't a great team in the first half. And when the second half rolled around because of the two halves in playoffs, the way it's done here in the Atlantic League, we were extremely good. In fact, every time I went to a visiting broadcast booth, everybody said, hey, you are you guys are the best team in the Atlantic League right now. But then we had a five-game lead with about three weeks to go, and we just went into a huge rough patch. We just lost a ton of games during that span, and the next thing I know, you know, we were five games back, and we crawled into the last week of the season, literally. The last seven games of the year, they were here at Constellation Field. We lost the first two of the first three to the Long Island Ducks, which is kind of a precursor to the, the way the season wound up. And we had the Southern Maryland Blue Crabs for four games. Not generally a great team, even though they had been in the Atlantic championship series the year before but you know they've struggled quite a bit over the years but they have always just played us really well both here and southern maryland if we had split that series like we normally typically do against them that was it we were out of the playoffs but we swept them in a four-game series which we had never done and in the middle of that we clinched so the clincher wound up ricky haig sliding across home plate on a missed tag so the next thing i know boom we're in the playoffs we win the final two games, even though they were kind of meaningless at that point. York comes here to play, and generally the playoff system has kind of worked against us because even if you have home field, if you choose to have the first two games at home, that means you have the last three on the road. Well, York won the first half, so they had the choice. So they chose the first two games on the road, which actually backfired on them because we won the first game. We were at one nothing, and then looked like we were going to be going to their place all nodded at one apiece and we had taken two of three for them two years ago to get into the championship series that we wound up losing against the barnstormers but we were down seven nothing so we battled back for eight runs and we're up eight seven the next thing we're down nine to eight again and then uh, renee tassoni who actually played in the world baseball classic recently hit a two-run homer in the eighth we went ten to nine we're up two games to none, and I just knew we were going to win that first game. It was kind of obvious. And uh, we swept the York Revolution. Next thing I know, you know, we, I turn around, and we've won seven straight games. So we had only won five games in a row once all year. So we go to Long Island, but before that, Somerset had a two-games-to-none lead on Long Island, and Somerset has owned us over the years, especially in the playoffs. And they blew a 2 nothing lead. The Ducks took the next three, so... We're going to play the Long Island Ducks again. The Ducks won the first half, so they're playing the first two here. Uh, we won two close games. Then we go to Long Island, and we need to win one of three. We were down in that game as well. We wound up winning, and a, a coworker of mine said, 
to me uh, the day before I left for the road trip, which I'd kind of just thought about. I'm from Long Island. That's where I was born and raised and grew up most of my life. And to win it back at home after all those years was uh, even more special than just winning the ring. Tell people the other, you mentioned some of the other places that you've called games. This is your 13th year. Where else have you been? Where else have you uh, called baseball games? I've also called games here in Texas with the San Angelo Colts, who are no longer around the United League. Uh, I was at AAA with the Colorado Rockies AAA team, the Colorado Springs Sky Sox, for a couple of seasons. Uh, began my career in the Carolina League in Lynchburg, the Pirates affiliate at the time. And then after that, I was the voice of the Oaks, which was the Tampa Bay, then Devil Rays at the time. So One of the differences, I, I, I would think, from doing th- these games as opposed to maybe the traditional minor league setup is that you're, you're seeing guys that maybe coming back here after having played in the major leagues and the minor leagues, a lot of times you're seeing the guys as they're, as they're coming up. Uh, what's been one of the more special experiences of, of one of those guys that you see come back here? I, you know, for instance, I mean, I guess everybody in Houston is familiar with somebody like a Scott Casimir who then makes the jump back into the major leagues and ends up even playing with the Astros. Is that been the most special thing to see happen? Uh, his whole his whole circle of experience. Uh, that was cool, but I would say probably the top three experiences for me were uh, uh, getting to know Roger Clemens quite a bit. In fact, uh, we have another UT game coming up here. He joined me in the booth last time I've gotten to know him because after he pitched those first two games for us, and his son Kobe caught the second one and became the first father-son battery in professional baseball history. Kobe wound up catching us, catching for us the next year. So Roger would always listen to the games. He'd come on some road trips. He'd always be right below here in our diamond deck, right below the press box and the broadcast booth. So I got to know him really well uh, because Patrick Palmero played here. Uh, we got to meet Rafael Palmero. We had him mic'd up during the game. He was a ton of fun and really gracious with everything. And uh, Tracy McGrady being here for half a season and kind of having to run the press concert conferences myself on the road because you know it's the minors so we don't have a pr person that travels so i wanted to be in the pr person on the road and uh, really had a newfound experience for celebrities and he got a uh, just everywhere we went and just somebody wanted a piece of him and i i saw how the celebrity side of uh, a person i work can get it's a little much at times i mean he didn't get any peace at all what are your memories of when roger pitched uh, the atmosphere out here when he pitched and w- what it felt like to just be involved with all that it was crazy because we'd come out of a sales meeting and we were in one of the sky boxes and said somebody's throwing down there and then uh, somebody said to me "Ah, it looks just like roger clems i go that's because that is roger clems you could just see the body typing roger's a pretty big guy and uh you know just all the attention you know especially you know we were as far as the national scene nobody knew who we were i mean we were still the newest team in the atlantic league so there were you know, people in the Atlantic League that weren't familiar with us yet. And the fact that Roger pitched it twice in game one really put us not only the map in the Atlantic League, but nationally and even worldwide. I mean, uh, I've gone to Australia and worked for Team Australia and in the 2009 World Baseball Classic. But we were, and so folks from them knew about it. We were getting calls from Canada and Japan. And I mean, it was just a whirlwind phenomenon we had just media covering us from everywhere and it was a it was a phenomenal experience i mean everywhere here was packed we had roger clemens logo in the bullpen we had people watch him from the bridge and the grasslands just for him warming up it was it was quite an experience i mean it it was it'd be equivalent to 
like Randy Johnson coming down from the majors to do, you know, a rehab start. It had that kind of feel to it. How did you sense that Tracy McGrady thought of this experience and what it was like? Was this something that he had obviously something he wanted to do for since he was a kid? He loved baseball as well as basketball. Uh, what did he look at this experience like? Was it just something a lark, or, or is he taking it more seriously? No, it was actually uh, really interesting. I got to talk to Tracy quite a bit, both pre-game and in-game, and um, it was actually his first love baseball. But he transferred in his senior year to go to a high school that was more in depth for his basketball career, and they didn't have a baseball program, so that was the last of his baseball career. But he had actually thought about it when the NBA was about to go on strike a few years before that. And by the time he could kind of get that going, the strike got settled and he was back to work. So since his NBA career was completely over at this point, after playing overseas as well, he, he wanted to give it a shot and he took it really seriously. I was you know, really impressed by him. He came here three months earlier and worked with somebody, you know, just about every day. And, you know, he uh, traveled with us on the road trip, got to start the All-Star game, which actually turned out to be his last game. But uh, you know, he didn't embarrass himself at all. I mean, he threw 86 to 88 and you know, had a couple of pitches, and uh, I thought it was a lot of fun. You uh, are around Gary Gaetti quite a bit, and uh, he's a guy that I, I grew up with a little bit as the third baseman. I know him as one of the best third basemen from that era that he played in and, and won a couple of championships with the Twins and played with Kirby Puckett. Does he give you any Kirby Puckett stories or, or from that, t- that era? Because, boy, those games, watching those games in the Metrodome back in those days, the atmosphere was probably the most electric that you've seen in, in, a, in a baseball game. For anyone who doesn't know Gary, I mean, if you're in baseball like us, you do, but you know, he was the heart and soul of that 87 team. He actually wasn't around, which a lot of people think, and I did originally too, for the 91 team. Oh, right. Okay. That one, he, uh, he signed the big three-year contract with the Angels after the 1990 season. But you know, this is a guy, you talked about the gold gloves. I mean, only four third basemen in the American League in a 10-year span won gold gloves, and he was one of them, uh, winning four of them, actually. And, you know, he he's just a great guy. I mean, it was kind of a funny story. When I was at single A, uh, one of the opposing players was Joe Gaetti. And when I got to triple A, joining us was Joe Gaetti, his son. And, uh, and it's almost like if you see signs in life of things that are going to happen looking back now, I mean, I had no idea I was going to meet Gary and get to know him extremely well. And, you know, I talked about his dad then not knowing him at all. And then I saw his son for the first time in a long time last year on a road trip. And I was like, Hey, I don't know if you remember me. And I was, I was kind of telling Gary that I interviewed him twice and it was a, it was pretty interesting, but I got to say, you know, even as great of a baseball player he was, and he was phenomenal. He's an even better person. I mean, the players love him. They love playing for him. He is your player's manager. He's going to let you play. He's going to let you make mistakes and succeed. You know, the fans love him. I mean, just for my job, he's very, very easy to work with. And uh, it's been a phenomenal experience. We we couldn't have picked a, a better guy to be the team's first and only manager. Why do you sense that he wants to be here? Uh, he probably would have other offers. He could be in a, in a system, maybe a major league system, uh, coaching in, in other areas, why in the independent league, why the Sugarland Skeeters? Well, I think part of it had to do with, you know, being part of the Astros coaching staff as the hitting coach of the team that went to the 2005 World Series, which was kind of funny because it came kind of a mini Astro 2005 World Series kind of reunion in year one. We had, uh, and sorry, in two-year span, we had Jason Lane, who was part of that team, Gary, Roger Clemens. I mean, it was it was pretty interesting. So, uh, 
I think his time with the Astros, you know, gives him a name in this area, and they just liked what he had to say. You know, he wanted to be part of the community, not just be part of the Skeeters, and he really has been. Jason Lane, you mentioned him, and you know, he he was part of that World Series team. He comes back as a pitcher, which is uh, it's, it's amazing, and and he's got, gone back into major league system. Uh, was with the Padres last I heard. I don't know where he's at right now. Maybe you can remind me of that, but. You know, it's funny because you also saw him uh, just a couple of years ago in an Oscar nominated movie, although in a uh, sort of cameo role, he was he was in the, the, the movie with uh, Richard Linkletter and, and they showed the home run from from his days with the Astros. Uh, what was it like to see Jason Lane back here and as a pitcher? It was really interesting. Year one, he wasn't just a pitcher. He was old school Ironman baseball, like from the 30s, like Babe Ruth. He had probably one of the more interesting stats of all times. He had nine wins and nine home runs. So he would pitch, he would start, you know, throw his six to seven innings, and then he'd take a day off, and then he'd be a hitter the other three days, sometimes in the outfield, sometimes as a DH. But I think it warned him a little as, as we got towards the end of the season. But then the following year, our pitching coach said, hey, if you want to go back to the majors, you need to focus on just pitching. And he was a left-handed pitcher and a right-handed hitter. So uh, he was very good and wound up getting back to the Padres for a little while and uh, – you know, one of our five stories of guys getting back to the majors from the Skeeters. So uh, it was great having him here. Terrific person as well. What's the strangest experience? Because minor leagues, there's always stuff that you, you probably don't see in a major league ballpark. And I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but you, you've probably seen a few things here in the last few years with the Skeeters that, uh, that that's not something I would normally see. What what comes to mind when, you, when I t- ask you that question? It's hard to pick one with the Skeeters. I think the most bizarre play that still always stands out in my mind and a 13-year minor league career is uh, we had a runner on first when I was with Visalia, and the ball got thrown away. So, I'm sorry, there was a play at the plate on top of the guy who hit it. So, the ball comes home, and it was one of those plays at the plate where the runner didn't touch the base, and the catcher didn't tag the runner, and the umpire just did what he was supposed to do. He just stand, stood there with not making a safer and out call because he wasn't touched. <laughs> So our guy starts walking into the dugout. And this time the catcher realizes that the umpire still hasn't made a call. So now the player is completely inside the dugout. So the catcher goes all the way from home into the dugout to tag him. Now by doing this, I found out a very interesting rule. The catcher has now walked off the field of play, which awards the base runner two bases. (laughs) Oh, it gets better. So the guy at first, the umpire, did what he would normally do. He pointed to third. You get two bases. So the player goes to third. Now, before the pitch is thrown, the pitcher steps off the mound, throws the third. Third baseman tags the runner. The umpire yells, you're out. Well, the runner didn't do the smartest thing. He never went to second. He cut all the way across the diamond and went straight to third. (laughs) And that's always the one that stands out to me. Um, Let me ask you about some of the guys that have come through. We mentioned a few of the names uh, what, what, what are the other, some of the other names that people would remember? Uh, Willie Tavares, uh, Jeremy Barfield, a par- part of the Barfield yep, family. He was, our, uh, he was great last year. We had him the year before last, and he played for us for about 10 games. I'm sorry, it was 14 games. We won 10 in a row, and then he got signed by the Rockies, went to double A. When he left, we lost seven in a row to show you how big of an impact one guy is, which is, is a hard thing to do in baseball. And I thought, even then, I said on the air, man, what could the Skeeters do with Jeremy Barfield for a whole season? Sure enough, we had him for the whole year last year. He was the team MVP. He was the league MVP. 
He was an all-star. He set the new Skeeter's home run record, which actually broke Kobe Clemens' record, who had the home run record. And we won the Atlantic League championship. So uh, he was phenomenal. Easy to work with, actually. Uh, as a broadcaster, uh, he was great. He, he even would come to me with ideas. He said, hey, why don't you mic me up? One day we're, we're warming up and we can do an interview during warm-ups. I was like, that's a cool idea. So we did that. And he was just fun to work with. We, his dad would come to the game sometimes, so we had him in the booth. Uh, Ryan Langerhans was here. I don't think gets enough credit. Ryan spent 10 years in the big leagues, and uh, he actually was one of the five guys to go back to the majors after one of our seasons. Toronto uh, signed him, and next thing you know, he was in the majors for the last couple of weeks of the season because our season's longer, so everybody hadn't played in three weeks, and he had only not played in just, I think it was five or six days, so uh, they brought him up to the bigs because he was ready to go. So uh, we've had some really interesting guys here, guys that, you know, some from this area that people may or may not know, some that aren't. Uh, Gary Majeski, who is a big name in this area, uh, who went to St. Pius and was drafted by the White Sox, played on the 2006 Team USA team in the World Baseball Classic with Roger Clemens and uh, played for the Astros for a short period of time. Roy Corcoran, who played with the Washington Nationals, the Expos, when they were still around. And, uh, you know, we've had a ton of guys who've had some big league experience. Even last year we've had guys. And it's so interesting to talk to those guys because – there's a difference when you talk to a major league guy, even from the interview standpoint. They really know how to carry themselves, and they they tend to be a lot more fun on the interviews too. You can kind of play around with them a little bit more. And uh, yeah, there's been some great guys come through here in five years. I gotta say that. I gotta remind people that you know there might be somebody too young to remember Jeremy Barfield's dad, Jesse Barfield. That guy had one of the great arms you've ever seen in right field in Major League Baseball, and he was a fun guy to watch with the Toronto Blue Jays. Really, just a really great outfield that he had with the Blue Jays back in that era. Still have been trying to find ever since an outfield that's been better. And I, I have yet to find three guys of that quality. Because you got to remember, all three of those guys, Mosby, Bell, and Barfield, they all led the league in assists at one or two points during their career. They were all all-stars at one point. One was an MVP. Jesse was a home run champ. Mosby was a gold glover. I mean, it's just, it's hard to, you can find two great outfielders, even over the course of history of time, you know, when you look at, you know, an outfield for the Yankees, you know, with Ruth and guys out there with them or Ty Cobb, but man, it's really difficult to find three guys better than those three. It's really amazing. Yeah. Multi-tooled guys. And uh, the next thing I want to ask you about was just uh, the team coming up this, this year is we're, we're a little over three, three weeks out. How soon does the roster solidify for the Skeeters? You know, how soon do you know uh, what you've got going into the year? Do, do they know at this point? And, and can you tell me a couple of the guys that, uh, to, look for, to look out for? I would say we have about half the roster signed right now. Uh, you're going to see a big flurry of moves over the next few weeks because as soon as Major League Baseball spring training, which is one of the reasons the Atlantic League starts a little bit later to pick up some of those guys that get cut even on the last day of spring training. In fact, you know, we had Patrick Palmero, Raphael's son here. He got cut on the last day of spring training last year. We got him back. But uh, uh, Barfield is uh, back with us. Um, probably going to get Josh Prince back, who is our leadoff hitter and uh, was a major leaguer with the Brewers and uh, was actually the leading stolen base leader in the nation when he was with Tulane, played for UT for a little while. Um, we're getting some of our bullpen back guys like AJ, Andrew Johnston. And uh, we're going to have a... Pretty good core of that championship team back here, along with some new big league faces, and uh, I think it's going to be a pretty good team. And this is that team last year was a lot of guys that I felt were kind of on their last year. They wanted to go out winners, but we've gotten a lot more guys back than I expected, and we've added a few already. And 
it's going to be a, it's going to be a good team to have a chance to defend. I'll say that. Last thing I wanted to ask you about the WBC experience. You got to call W or you got to work the WBC games. Tell me about what that was like. The atmosphere for people that haven't been to one of those games. Uh, is it as special as anything that you've seen as far as baseball goes? Just the, the how much the crowd is involved and that kind of thing. I'll tell you two things. I just came back from the World Baseball Classic. I got to go there for a week. Uh, the semifinals in San Diego and also the finals in L.A., and I'd never been to the finals. But when I worked it in 2009 with Team Australia, it was a media liaison officer. But before that, I just went as a fan to the 2006 one because I was with Visalia at the time, and it was about a five-hour drive down to San Diego. So I really wanted to check it out. I got tickets for what I thought was going to be a matchup in the semifinal for Japan-USA. You know, USA didn't do everything they did until they finally won it this year. So why that being Japan versus Korea? And I went to the World Series in 98. The Yankees played the Padres, and that was at Yankee Stadium. And I got to tell you that Korea-Japan game is the best baseball atmosphere I have ever been in. It was just amazing. I mean, the fans overseas in Japan and the, the fans from South America, it, it's a very, very different atmosphere. It is a absolute party for nine innings i mean it, even just coming back from this one i mean there are fans that just they're a band they're walking around the concourse with five or six different instruments playing throughout you know it's almost like that college atmosphere to the next level you know it's just it's just a, such a great atmosphere and, and to me the most proud of them i am with the players because these are guys who are major league stars not just you know scrubs guys that you never heard of um, and it was a little extra incentive this year for me because there was a lot of guys, current and former Atlantic League players, 22 to be exact, and 12 current and including one skeeter, uh, Rene Tassoni, who's going to be back with us as well, who played for Team Canada. And when you have major league superstars wanting to win the World Baseball Classic just for their country, I mean, to watch Yadier Molina with two World Series rings put that team on his back, coax pitchers who you can tell were – certainly not the best pitchers in the world, clearly, that he made better. And to see guys like, you know, guys I don't get to watch, you know, A, because I'm doing 140 games here with the Skeeters, but, you know, that when I have time to watch a major league team, I'm not watching. Like, I'm not watching Oriole games. I'm not watching Rockies games. You know, and to see Adam Jones make a spectacular catch in center field, one of the best big game catches I've ever seen. Nolan Arenado, who's a home run hitter who had – 40-plus home runs again last year and has driven over 250 RBIs in the last two years, sliding headfirst into first base so a run could score for his country. I mean, it's it's amazing how these guys have taken it to the next level. And I think now that Team USA has won it, I think a lot of the guys who didn't sign up for it, you're going to see a lot more guys, especially from Team USA, wanting to be part of that because it's, it's a phenomenal experience. It's the only thing I've ever seen because even here or when I was at AAA, there's nothing you ever see in the baseball world where you have guys that have played independent ball, guys who have been at single A, double A, triple A, the majors who have had maybe a cup of coffee, major leaguers, major league stars, major league superstars, guys that you thought retired a few years ago who are either still playing in their country, come back to play, guys like Miguel Tejada who did that in the last World Baseball Classic who you know, wasn't playing and then he got signed back to play. Um, Angel Pagan, who doesn't currently have a contract, was another great audition for him. Guys who have only played only in their country and have never been in a system at all, all on the same team is a really interesting mix. And to see kind of those underdog countries like 
to watch Team Israel and Team Italy, it was just so much fun to for them to do well when nobody would have thought in the world that either country had a baseball program at all. And uh, you saw some former uh, big leaguers on those teams and even to see guys from this league, a guy named Josh Zaid, and uh, who played for New Britain and a couple other guys that were uh, in this league, like uh, Blake Gale, who played for Lancaster. You know, to watch them when I had been calling games that they were in all season uh, was really phenomenal. It's, I just, I really enjoy it. It was, it was like the baseball Olympics. I didn't get a lot of sleep over the last three weeks, but that's how I always feel when I watch the Olympics. And I, I think the World Baseball Classic embodies everything great about baseball, everything great about playing for your country, and you know, everything great about an Olympic type experience. Yeah, the peer pressure is going to force some guys to to join them, and they're going to hear all about it uh, at, at the beginning of the season from a lot of their teammates. Let me ask you about uh, the Skeeters this year. Tell me a little bit about uh, when their opening game is, uh, when you, the first uh, series is for the people that are interested to come out to Constellation Field to, to watch the games. April 20th is opening day. First seven games will be against the Bridgeport Bluefish, who actually uh, did very well last year. I think a lot of people counted them out and – Got eliminated just in the very last few days of the season, and uh, it's always a fun game against Bridgeport, and uh, they bring some pretty good names for a, a small town in Connecticut that you wouldn't think a lot of people would want to go play there, but uh, they bring in some pretty good names and usually a pretty good team, and uh, their manager does a great job. So he's a guy who's been you know, part of Venezuela teams coaching and the World Baseball Classic and things like that. So he, it's, uh, he puts together a pretty good team. Is there any uh, promotions that you're looking forward to this season? Yeah, my favorite one that I've been waiting for for 13 years, Ring Replica Giveaway Night on opening day. So uh, <laughs> the folks from Assured Flow Solutions were uh, nice enough to uh, buy into my idea, and uh, the first 2,000 fans are going to get a, a championship Ring Replica, which is it's not the, the – No cheap, diamonds in it. <laughs> no, but it's not the cheap giveaway you think it is. I mean, it's metal, and it looks really cool. So uh, – I'm really looking forward to that. So, and we do a lot of great things here, and we do things like Pink in the Park Night, which you know, recognizes breast cancer at Memorial. Herman's very involved in, and MD Anderson is involved in now with us. And you know, I think just the little things that go on each day—the fun in-game promotions, you know, kids running out on the field with the players, um, the kids' club—I mean, just there's so many little things that happen every day. We have. Uh, few uh, really cool post-game concerts this year, the Spasmatics, which are an 80s band, which I love, and uh, the Molly Ringwalds are also an 80s band. They're going to be out here for the first time. So uh, we got some cool stuff, the, t- the standard ones that everybody loves, Friday Night Fireworks and our Sunday Fun Day, where you can get the entire team's autograph and have a catch on the field before the game and run the bases after the game, Dollar Hot Dog Night on Monday. and It's always fun. Yeah, 80s night. You you got me with that one. That sounds good to me. Well, thanks so much for doing this, and uh, good luck to you guys this season, and I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk to me. I, we get a great view of the field as we're, as we're doing this, so it gets you right in the mood for, for baseball and Skeeter's baseball. Thanks so much. Thanks for having me. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.